As I thought about a title for today's message, this came to mind. Slow down, you move too fast. You got to make the morning last. Just kicking down the cobblestones. Looking for fun and feeling groovy. The opening word, slow down, you move too fast. We're on point, but wasn't quite sure to do with that other part. Feeling groovy. So next up was this familiar song. And those words, don't let the sound of your own wheels drive you crazy, is really a lot more of what we're going to talk about today. So the message is entitled, Take It Easy. And we certainly understand what the words meant in that song. But if you tell people today to take it easy, in lots of situations, they're going to have no understanding of what you're saying. And sometimes they're even get offended by you telling them to, hey, take it easy. But today, we want to clear up any misunderstanding that you or I might have concerning why God would want to say to us, take it easy, as in, hey, Bill, take it easy, not to make me mad, but actually to help me live in a much less stressed way. Because truthfully, and I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I feel like I'm living in a NASCAR race. I'm going round and round and round, and I'm not really going anywhere, and I'm getting nowhere at all really fast. And NASCAR, like it, racing through our days and racing through our lives, it's less like a spectator sport, but it's really more like a way of life. Speaking of NASCAR, I heard somebody actually say this the other day. They questioned whether NASCAR was actually a sport. And they said that the acronym NASCAR stands for a non-athletic sport centered around rednecks. Now, to be honest, it's dangerous to talk that way because so many NASCAR fans own guns. So please know I'm just kidding, okay? Because truthfully, I am a fan of NASCAR driver, Jeff Gordon. He's a Christian who sometimes talks about his faith, and I'm really sad he's retiring. But the whole reason I brought up this NASCAR thing is because it's a perfect metaphor, isn't it? It's a perfect metaphor for how we live life today. Because our culture today actually fuels this race pace style of living. And the impact of constant busyness on us can be seen in all sorts of different ways like our being so overly time conscious that perhaps you're a gronker, you're behind the first person at the light, and then the light changes from red to green, and if the person doesn't instantly take off, you either start to get anxious or you want to honk. So let me say, it's bonkers to be a gronker. And how about this one? You're so overly time conscious that when you go grocery shopping, you actually stress over which checkout line to get in. You do all the math. It's the number of items in the person's cart times the number of people divided by the speed of the checker, and then you choose the best line. But that's not all. You still look to see where you might have been if you had chosen another line. And if you do win, you confuse the bagger by giving him a big hug and a smile and a high five on your way out. But busyness, my friends, is also displayed in less humorous ways because busy people can have a lack of personal depth, which can result in superficial relationships and wounded hearts. And we can find ourselves being so very busy that we don't honestly have time for the things that our hearts long for, for the type of people that we really want to be, for 
the types of relationships that we really want to have. And for those of us who battle busyness, and I'm one with you, here's the question. In your NASCAR-like race style of living, where's Jesus? Is Jesus in the race car with you riding shotgun? Or is Jesus in the pit crew helping you to speed things up? Or is Jesus up in the tower giving you directions about how to steer through things so you can only go faster? Or could it be that Jesus is actually outside of the track? And he's wooing you away from that NASCAR lifestyle of busyness, which could be wounding your primary relationships. Many of us as God's people, we choose NASCAR lifestyles while at the very same time we try to follow a Savior who wants us to walk with him instead of racing out in front of him. If Jesus has one message for us about why he came, it could be in the words of John 10.10 in the NIV, which say, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And when Jesus said to the full, he didn't mean full on, pedal to the metal, racing round and round to make life full. No, the other versions of this verse say that I have come that they may have abundant life. He said, I have come that they may have a rich and satisfying life. I have come that they may have a better life than you have ever dreamed of. Jesus didn't say, I have come that you might be busy, dressed out, and hurried. Rather, Jesus said in Matthew 11, 28 and 29, the New Living Translation, he said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You see, there is a connection between the abundant life and rest for your soul. I'm sure some of you are thinking, take my yoke, I don't even like eggs. What's this guy talking about? It's talking about take my yoke upon you being a reference for you to be connected to Jesus Christ. For a yoke is a wooden frame, fits over the shoulders of animals like oxen, harness them together so they can work in partnership, work together, share the burden of a job like pulling a plow or pulling a cart. So what Jesus is saying is, hey, Bill, Be yoked to me. Be connected to me. And not connected to a fuel-injected lifestyle. But be yoked to me. Be connected with me. Walk with me. Learn the rhythms of life. Learn how I love. Learn how I engage people. And let me say the promise of that, of such a real relationship, and of a real partnership with Jesus is so incredibly, incredibly appealing that we could actually have abundance and fullness in life with rest for our souls at the same time. But unfortunately, that appeal smacks right in the face of the 21st century race that we all live in. And we don't really feel like we have the time, do we, to to take Jesus up on this invitation for a better life. Why? Because busy is an enemy of abundant life. Busy is an enemy of faith. Busy is an enemy of relationships. And that's because the substance of spiritual life can't be rushed. Love cannot be hurried. And what we want most in life can't be attained through a NASCAR lifestyle. Think about it. When God invaded humanity as Jesus, God becomes flesh in Jesus. He's in the form of a man, now walking on earth, showing us how to live and how to love to the very fullest. And so what's the character of Jesus while he's actually doing this? Jesus was chilled, if you will. Jesus was relaxed. In fact, theologian J.B. Phillips wrote this. 
He said, there's one thing which should be quite plain to those who accept the revelation of God in the Bible, and that is Jesus was never in a hurry. And it's actually refreshing to recognize that, isn't it? And to, to study the poison, the quietness of Christ, because Jesus was never in a hurry. He was never impressed by numbers. He was never a slave to the clock. Jesus always acted as he said he saw God acting, which was never in a hurry. Jesus didn't live a frantic life, and he doesn't want you and me to live frantic lives. So what did Jesus model in his never-hurried life? Let's look at three things. Firstly, look at this. Jesus stopped to love. In fact, in Mark's fifth chapter, Jesus gets off a boat and is met by a high-ranking synagogue official whose daughter's deathly sick and dying. The high official says to Jesus in Mark 25, 23 and 24 in the NIV, he said, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. And so Jesus went with him. Now, they began to head to his house. And you know this synagogue official, he's so focused on just getting there. But everywhere Jesus went, there was a crowd. And so they're walking to his house to save his dying daughter. And some woman in the crowd who's desperate for healing says to herself, if I could just touch his coat, then I could be healed. And so she works her way through the crowd and she touches Jesus' coat. And Jesus stops. And he asks what must seem at the time the dumbest question in the world, who touched me? Can you imagine the dad of that dying daughter who is saying, why are we slowing down? My agenda is to get you to my house for my dying daughter as fast as possible. We're stopping. Uh, come on. What do you mean? Who touched you? That's a dumb question. Let's go, please. But look at what verse 32 says. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. He stopped because the person who touched him needed him right then. She didn't hope that she could maybe catch up with him later or find him at another time. She needed him right then, right there, right now. And so Jesus, knowing that, kept looking around to see her. And after stopping to find her, he gave her his healing touch, his healing love. And you see, you and I, we miss so many opportunities to take time to love those in our lives right when they need them. We're just too busy to stop and to emotionally relate and love and to have sometimes meaningful conversations, to give someone our attention, our help, our hope, our encouragement. But Jesus didn't live that way. His agenda was never too full. His to-do list never held priority over someone who needed him. And so after stopping to share his love and to heal the woman, he went on, not just to heal the synagogue leader's daughter, but actually to raise her back up to life again because she indeed has died. So firstly, we see Jesus slowed down and he stopped to help others. And you and I, we're to do the same. That's what love does. Love stops. Love looks around. Love both glances and glares to find who is in need of love. And love notices. And love has the time to notice. And here's the second thing that Jesus does. Jesus took his time we see this clearly in John 11:5 in the NIV. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Really? Jesus, he's one of your very best friends. He's dying. You know that. And you're going to stay here for two more days? Yes, Jesus actually did that. Because he didn't live in a rushed way. 
But again, in the end, things worked out for Jesus and for Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Lazarus comes back to life. But Jesus always slowed down. He always stopped for others. He never rushed. He always simply took his time. And if that's good enough for Jesus, hey, it's good enough for us. Here's the third thing Jesus did. Jesus called others to slow down. In Luke 10, Jesus communicates this relaxed truth to Martha. The setting is Martha and Mary's house. Again, these are his dear friends. And Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. And at that time, when a great teacher or a great rabbi would come by, you would sit at their feet. And so Jesus is in the house teaching, talking, Mary sitting at his feet. Meanwhile, on the other hand, Martha, the other sister, she's scrambling around the house, trying to clean it, trying to get food ready. And you can almost imagine, can't you, Martha's look, trying to get Mary's attention, giving her that look, come on, I can't do this all by myself. And there's Mary just smiling and sitting at the feet of Jesus. And then finally, Martha, she has enough. She can take it no more. So she comes in, and you can almost hear the whiny tone in her voice in Luke 10, 40 in the NIV. And she says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all this work by myself? Tell her to help me. Can you imagine that? Busyness versus connecting with Jesus. And then Jesus in the next verse, Luke 10, 41 in the NIV says, Martha, 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 Martha. (laughs) You are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. You see, in so many words, Jesus is saying a couple things. Martha, your to-do list for this afternoon is way too long, so shorten it and let go of the worry and upset. And also, going forward, let go of the worry and the upset over things you think have to be done before they even hit your to-do list. So what Jesus is telling her is not only to adjust to physically doing less things now, but also mentally adjust to thinking about doing less things in the future. Again, Jesus said, only one thing is needed. Mary's chosen what's better. It's not going to be taken from her. In other words, Mary has chosen to relate to me over doing things. Mary has chosen to listen to my truth and to follow it. And Jesus says the same thing to you and me. He says, adjust to shorten your to-do list now and adjust to keep it shortened in the future, which is kind of sadly counter to how we Christians think we should live, isn't it? We think... I've got to do more for Jesus, because if I do more for Jesus, then he's going to be more pleased with me. And the more productive I am, the happier Jesus is going to be, because wasn't one of Jesus' greatest commandments, you need to get more things done? No, he never said that. Actually, Jesus summarized hundreds and hundreds of Old Testament laws in two things. Jesus said, love God and love others, and don't let anything distract you from those things. Now, I'm not suggesting that we live lazy lives, not at all. What I'm suggesting is less racing in your life and more time for relationships in your life. Less time for making lengthy mental and physical to-do lists and more time for things of love in your life. How do we get there? How do we remove ourselves from this race that we find ourselves in? How do we do this in the real world? Experience less race, more relationships, less to-do list and more to-love list? How do we experience more rest for our souls, as Jesus has alluded to earlier? Well, I want to be really practical with you today. 
And I want you to remember this message. So I want you to think about this message and what we're talking about when you're in your car and you come to a stoplight. Not so that you'll be a gronker, but rather when you see a traffic light, you'll kind of start thinking, hey, it's a take it easy traffic light. And it will remind you of this message. And here's what we mean. Because traffic lights obviously have three distinct lights. The red light for you now is going to represent things that you say no to things for you that you need to stop doing. And the green light means go. And for you, it represents things that you need to say yes to, that you need to go do, and you need to keep doing. And the yellow light means, I know some of you are thinking, speed up, but that's not really what it means. Yellow for you means caution, so slow down. In order for you to do what the title of this message says, take it easy, You and I need to run the things in our lives and the things on our mental and physical to-do list through this filter, okay? So the first thing we're going to look at at this take it easy signal is yellow. And the yellow for you and me is to slow down to see what's beneath our yeses because yes is actually a three-letter word that should be a four-letter word because it's a dirty word because it keeps us so darn busy. But here's the problem. You've got to get off the freeway and you've got to pull into the rest stop before you can really evaluate what it's about. And why it keeps fueling our lives and fueling our hearts in the way that it does. Because busyness is a heart issue. We think busyness is an efficiency issue. We think if I could just be more efficient, if I could be more organized, then I wouldn't be so busy. We think busyness is a product of a disordered schedule. But busyness is actually the product of a disordered heart. And we don't like to confess that because we don't want to think we're really that busy. And we don't want to think we have a disordered heart. But we've got to dig really deep here because there is a price to pay for busyness. It's brokenness and a disconnection from some really, really important things in life. And I admit that I struggle with this. I struggle with busyness. I struggle with its connection to brokenness because sometimes I struggle with insecurity. Sometimes I think, man, am I good enough? Am I liked enough? Am I valuable enough? And if I do enough, the answer will be yes, and I can relax. But I can't really relax because I'm so busy. It's an oxymoron, a double-edged sword, a paradox. What happens when you struggle with insecurity is you actually become a people pleaser. You want to please people because when you please people, they validate you, and then all of a sudden you feel a little bit more secure. So are there any other people pleasers out there besides me? Let me see a show of hands. Okay, and you know why you people pleasers raise your hand? You wanted to please me, right? (laughs) But if you're a people pleaser, admit it, okay? And join me in doing a couple things. One, take a look inside at all the things that you do going out of your way to please other people. And two, think about how much easier your life would be if you didn't have those people pleasing things constantly taking up space in your mental and physical to-do list. Realizing that God is saying through this message, take it easy, not to be people-pleasing. In fact, God says, drop people-pleasing from your to-do list. People-pleasing is not required. It's not desired. In fact, make people-pleasing something in your life that's retired. I've done that when it comes to Sunday afternoons and evenings, because for me, that is my time of ultimate rest. And yet I get asked sometimes to come and participate on something on a Sunday afternoon, And my people-pleasing in me wants to say yes because I know it will make the person asking me happy and they'll they'll be pleased with me. 
but doing so makes me overly busy that day. And it sort of stresses out my ultimate rest and relaxation and refreshing time for me for the week. So what in your life do you say yes to that you really don't want to just to please others? Figure out what that is or what those things are and why you keep saying yes. And the yellow light on this take it easy signal, again, is slow down and see what's beneath your yeses. And the next thing on the take it easy traffic signal is stop saying yes to develop your no muscle. Actually, that muscle has to be developed in all of us. Because every time you're saying yes to something, you're actually saying no to something that may be more important and more valuable. But sometimes it's kind of easy to say no, isn't it, to the easy stuff like, hey, come on over to my house and watch Christian television with me all afternoon. No. Or a neighbor says, I coach second grade basketball. So why don't you come and watch second graders play basketball? No. Those are really easy. But unfortunately, life is not filled with easy yeses and nos. Even Jesus didn't say yes to everything. He didn't heal everybody. He walked through communities. He left needs there. He didn't try to perform every healing that was needed out there. He didn't save every person who needed saving because he knew he couldn't perform all those things by himself as a human. And some of us humans, we're performers too, aren't we? And we don't get that. We live our lives without realizing it so that we can receive, aren't I wonderful, accolades. But what I'm saying is you need to hold a mirror up. You need to hold a mirror up to your heart and ask, where am I performing? Where am I performing to please others? Where am I performing to feel better about myself? And how is my performing impacting my mental and my physical to-do list? Let me illustrate. I started teaching a course at Palm Beach Atlantic University eight years ago, and I didn't really see myself in that way as a university professor. So going to our annual faculty meetings at the start of each year for me were really, really stressful. And although I really liked teaching, I didn't like the faculty stuff. I didn't like pretending and performing as a professor when I was around them. So finally looking in the mirror, I thought, you know, I'm going to stop performing around the other faculty. And if they don't like me for me, then they can fire me. But they didn't. And then earlier this year, they changed some really big things in the course I taught. So again, I thought about performing all those changes to look good in their eyes and so that I could keep the class. But I looked in the mirror and I saw that all the time, all the stresses, all the strains that it would take for me to do so. And so I said no. And I walked away. And God patted me on the back and said, I'm glad and that's okay. So look at yourself in the mirror and ask yourself, where am I performing to please others? And then say no to that. No way. Another thing we need to say no to is technoference. And technoference, if you hadn't heard, it's a new term. Social scientists attribute to those of us who allow our mobile devices to get in the way of our primary relationships. This is a beautiful picture of it on the screen. Well, you see, the cartoon says, do you mind if I strap your phone to my forehead? so that I can pretend you're actually looking at me when I talk. That points us to the fact that some of us are having an affair, not with another man or woman, but we're having an affair with our mobile devices. We love it. It consumes us. We stress out when we've misplaced it. You're always trying to turn it on and keep it charged and take it to the bathroom with you. You sleep with it. 
And you can't relax at all without checking to see where all the people you know and what they're doing. And in doing that, it so easily gets in the way of the relational principles of God and gets in the way of our loving others. Don't get me wrong. You know I'm not anti-technology. Certainly not. I have a smartphone. I have a website. I have two Facebook pages, multiple email accounts. But my point is we need to be not so yoked to our electronic devices and we need to figure out how we can be more yoked to Jesus. That's the challenge in today's culture. We've got to figure out how to say no to the more and more and more and more our culture tries to put on us because the freer I am and the healthier I am as a human being and as a child of God, the more I am capable to say no. Yes, it's difficult because no one wants you to say no to they. In fact, some may even coerce you with a guilt trip into saying yes. And that's why we have to do this third thing. The third thing on our take it easy signal is the green light. And the green light for us says, go on a relaxed walk with Jesus. Because when you go on a relaxed walk with Jesus, Jesus is going to give you wisdom for what to say no to. But as we think about doing that, going on a relaxed walk with Jesus, some of us kind of feel guilty. Some of us think before I do that, I probably need to pray a little more and read the Bible a little more. Because in some ways, our faith has turned into religious activity instead of a relational connection. I'm not saying not to read your Bible, but I'm talking about being in the presence of God and letting go of some of the guilt because we think we haven't performed in life well enough to be with God. Now, I know some of us, we have read Genesis more than any other book in the Bible because many times we started reading the Bible in the beginning with good intentions. By the time we get to Leviticus with the fourth animal sacrifice on the fifth hill with the eighth chief priest... You say, I'm out of here. That's done. And so many of us live with some spiritual guilt. God says, knock it off. God says, go on a relaxed walk with Jesus where first you'll enjoy and you'll recognize his presence. You'll talk to him and you'll know that life is bigger than your issues. You'll be yoked with him. You'll be connected with him. So tell me, what would your life look like if you were to do what we're talking about today? I'll tell you what it would look like. Less stress, more peace. Less race, more love. Less busy, more blessing. That's what it would look like. So play the what if game with me. What if your identity wasn't based upon your performance, but your identity was simply based on how well you love? What if your life wasn't about the chase, the race, the pace, but your life was more identified by being with Jesus and experiencing His grace and learning to walk at Jesus' pace. You know, to really love deeply, it always takes time. And time is one thing hurried people don't have. When a NASCAR race starts, it goes something like this. Ladies and gentlemen, start your engines. But what if today we change that message to, ladies and gentlemen, turn off your engines. Ladies and gentlemen, get out of your car. Ladies and gentlemen, leave the racetrack. Ladies and gentlemen, go on a relaxed walk with Jesus. Not just for a minute, not just for an hour, but for the day. And the next day, and the next day, and the next day. What do you say? Think about that as we pray. Great God, we thank you so much for the relaxed demeanor we see in our Lord Jesus. He was as connected to you as anybody has ever been, greatly more so 
And yet, Father, he never was in a hurry. He never was rushing around. And so help us, Father, to draw upon him as our example. Help us, Father, to be able to take the time. Help us, Father, to be able to do the things in life we really want to do instead of those of us who are people pleasers doing what we think everybody's going to want us to do. Help us, Father, to take that walk with your son Jesus so he can show us what to say no to and what to say yes to. And Father, so we thank you for this. And and I ask sincerely that as we approach traffic lights this week and in the times and the days and the months to come, that we'll see them as take it easy lights, that we are to examine what our yeses are about and understand it's okay to say no to lots of things in our lives so that we can go on that relaxed walk with Jesus, so we can go and do the things that are really most important. So we thank you for all this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.